So, welcome to Aspen Wake Media and the sixth part of our very educational and exciting uh, documentary series about the birth of the English nation. And as always, I'm joined by the walking epitome of Anglo-Saxon Viking culture, Mr. Callum Waite. And how are we today, Callum? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, chap. How are you? I wonder what your name would be in those days. I was just looking at you, I was thinking about that little chiselled face and the grumpy little face and the and the lovely beard, you know. If I was fighting you, I'd probably grab hold of it and give you a good shank. But <laughs> 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 Anyway, so we're on part six of our series today. It's supposed to be eight parts, but I've got a feeling it might turn into nine because um, I think the, um, the, the Hastings, the whole lead up to Hastings and what went on, etc., is is of such interest. I think it might take two programs to get us from Edward the Confessor to that. But we, we shall see, viewers. First thing, um, I want to uh, uh, issue a, a retraction of a of a an ignorant comment that I made last week when I referred to Edmund the First as being Edmund Ironside, which of course he isn't. Edmund Ironside was in fact uh, the king briefly in 1016. Uh, and he will be covered in our show next week. So Edmund I is not an Ironside, so no, he isn't. So sorry about that. Edmund I, you're not Ironside, and Ironside, you're definitely not Edward I. I don't think he'd want to be Edward I, especially what happened to him, but then we, we shall come on to that. So uh, today we're covering um, a period from 939 AD to 1016. So effectively, King Athelstan has just died, and uh, it's going to be quite an interesting show today. It's basically taking us up to the sort of what all those things that led. So basically, by the time we get to 1016, if you like, the ingredients of the incendiary cake have been made that make the, the Norman conquest possible. That's, that's how I would put it. Um, we also find that uh, we, we've, we've covered the great heroics of the Anglo-Saxons and the rearguard action to basically keep the Danes from completely overrunning uh, England, uh, going right back to uh, to King Alfred and and his and his successors, and of course I don't know whether to be disappointed by this or whether it was just something we might talk about later, Callum. Um, whether this is just a, a natural consequence, as, as we were discussing, you know, Alfred himself probably saw the integration of Danish and Saxon culture as almost inevitable. Uh, and so we find in this period we're covering today of only 77 years that probably the whole reason that Alfred got up in the morning has, has basically been overturned, if you like. So I think the thing that marks out this period in history is 77 years and seven kings, seven whole kings. In, and when you consider that one of them was the king on and off for 48 years, it doesn't really say a lot. I would say it wasn't a very good time to be a king alive in these periods. I think uh, it was probably the most uh, period full of intrigue and risk of being the king ever. So we have seven kings. Um, I suspect at least one of them is somebody that most of you will never have dreamed was a king of England. Uh, and of those seven kings, two were assassinated. So uh, there's quite a lot of intrigue. And we're also going to talk about a very famous man of Somerset, uh, called St. Dunstan, um, uh, who we can't possibly uh, cover this period uh, without talking about him, because Dunstan himself uh, actually lived through nearly all of this period. So we, he, he, he misses the last 28 years of today's show, but apart from that, he's alive 
uh, all the way through, right from King Athelstan, actually. So there we mm. are, Callum. So um, Athelstan's died, and he's he's um, replaced by his eldest son, Edmund the First. Yeah, so Edmund the First was Athelstan's nephew. Sorry, nephew. Sorry, I do apologise. Yes. Well, easy mistake to make. All these names and kings, so many of them going around. Well, especially in my especially. notes, I actually put he was the son of Edward the Elder, which isn't very clever, really, is it? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so his tenure began on the 27th of October, 939. And um, his sort of reign was marked by just constant warfare, really. Um, he had conquests and reconquests of Midlands, Northumbria and Strathclyde. Um Pretty much as soon as Athelstan died, um, King Olaf Guthrasson conquered Northumbria and invaded the Midlands. Um, Edmund encountered him at Leicester, but Olaf escaped, and a peace was brokered by Oda of Canterbury and Wilson of York. Um, in 945, Edmund conquered Strathclyde, but eventually ceded the territory to King Malcolm I of Scotland in a exchange for a treaty of mutual military support. Um, Edmund established a policy of safe borders after this and peaceful reigns of Scotland. But that's about as exciting as his reign gets, really. <laughs> well, I think the end bit's quite exciting, so I don't know. Uh, can I talk about that bit? Is that, is that all right? Yeah, no, I was leaving that there for you to oh, take over. Thank you very much, learned friend. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, as Callum said, so Edmund uh, was king for seven years and, and was doing quite a good job on the whole, I think. I've, I haven't really read anything... Uh, particularly bad about him. Um, uh, probably the most, however, one of the, probably the most interesting thing about uh, Edmund the First is is his death, uh, which mm. is probably by far far the most um, uh, publicised, if you like, documentarised uh, event. So uh, I also um, I think, and, and it's not just me. I think uh, most scholars uh, believe that the story that was given is is just rubbish. Uh, something was actually invented quite a long time after he was killed, but the story goes. Uh, and bearing in mind this this guy, this chap is is only twenty five. He's still only a twenty five year old man. I think he's been married for five years or something like that. At this point, uh, there is supposed to be some sort of feast, and uh, how the story goes is there was a convicted um, criminal or whatever you want to call him, thief, a man called Leoffa. Um, and 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 how, what we're supposed to believe uh, from the people that put this story out is that Edmund recognised Leofa, uh, and upon seeing him, flew into a rage. Obviously, one of the things that Callum and I can both tell you about <laughs> from personal experience is probably doing so when you've had a few drinks isn't always a very good idea, because uh, I think drink you know does blend the senses, so we say or whatever. Um, so poor old Edmund had had a few drinks and he got into a bit of a tussle with Leofa and uh, how the story goes is uh, we started off with an exchange of insults and then uh, they ended up rolling around on the floor and Leofa stabbed Edmund many times uh, fatally leading to um, Edmund's death. Mm. Uh, I, th I think personally it's far more likely that it was more like an assassination uh, uh, organised by his brother, although I'm not entirely sure, well, I suppose other than uh, people like to have power, don't they? But um, 
I think it was almost certainly um, that he was he was murdered for political advantage or by let's say political opponents. I don't know if you have any views on that, Callum. No, no, I I, I pretty much agree. As I said, as you said, it's a, it's a little bit ambiguous, but um, an in, an interesting story nonetheless. I know last week we were talking talking about murder mysteries a little bit with um these events and we're going to cover a lot of, of that sort of thing today. We don't really know the exact um, sort of reasons why a lot of these people died, but there's certainly a lot of scheming and politics and assassinations going on behind the scenes. It's quite interesting. So poor old Edmund's just been killed and he is, he is replaced by his brother. Um, Idrid, I don't know. Uh, is that how you say it? Do you think? I would say Idrid. Yeah, I'd say Idrid. So uh, Idrid, yeah, so... Idrid himself uh, only lived thirty-two years. Yeah. So the uh, he became king on the twenty-sixth of May, nine four six. Um, the main sort of um, noteworthy things of his reign was that uh, Eric Bloodaxe, previously king of Norway, set himself up as king of Northumbria in nine three four. And Idrid went to to war with him. One thing I thought was quite interesting about Idrid. Was, um people like Ethelstan and King Alfred the Great are obviously known for how extremely they, religious they were. I imagine Eadred probably wasn't quite as religious. <laughs> and you know this purely because um, Eadred's response to Eric Bloodaxe um, conquering Northumbria was um, amazingly destructive. He he basically started raiding Northumbria and he, he burnt several monasteries to the ground which is um, obviously punishing more the people of Northumbria, mm. who obviously still were Christian, rather than Eric Bloodaxe himself. Mm. Um, it, basically, the, he, managed to get, he managed to gain control of Northumbria again by basically threatening the Northumbrian people, saying that he would burn all the monasteries to the ground and burn everything unless they, unless they um, ceded him as, as, as king again, which is obviously quite brutal. But as I said, not really the actions of a, of a very a religious man, I imagine. Um, he he died of um, digestive problems. We we think probably s- similar to his um, what is it his yeah his grandfather Alfred the Great. Um, apparently he used to by near the end of his death he would sort of suck on his food and and sort of suck out the juices but wouldn't mm. actually eat his food. Apparently it was quite a bizarre sight to mm. to um, to see. But yeah, he died at the age of thirty two from um, di- from digestive problems basically. Well, obviously, it wasn't a very good time to be alive because I think we've covered this in previous episodes about, uh, obviously, you've got in- inadequate water, um, yeah. pretty poor diet, really. Uh, just yeah. not generally a very good time to be alive. If you look at nearly all the people um, who we're going to cover today, most, nearly all of them, uh, a lot, most of them die before the age of 35, with, with a couple yeah. of notable exceptions, actually, being St. Dunstan and Ethelred himself, who... Um, isn't you know, by the by the by the in comparison with all the other kings uh, had had quite a long life, but obviously by our standards, comparatively short. So Idrid um, is, is, is is vanished off the scene as quickly as he came. Nine years he managed to be the king, and then he's um, replaced by a fellow called Edwig or Edvig. I don't know Edvig. I expect they call Ed- him here. Yeah. Edvig, Edvig. Um, yeah. So Edvig was Edred's nephew um edmund's eldest son um he had fairly uneventful but still um i suppose quite dramatic reign 
Um, apparently, he, he wasn't held in much high esteem by St. Dunstan, who really comes onto the scene during this time. Um, and according to the works of the earliest life of St. Dunstan, written around the year 1000, Edwig left the banquet of his coronation in Kingston-upon-Thames and was found cavorting with a yes. noblewoman named Ethel Kitty. That's her daughter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, cheeky, cheeky mares. <laughs> um, Dunstan dragged him back to the banquet, earning the enmity of Edwig and the two women. Um, and at El Githu's instigation, Dunstan was deprived of his abbacy at Glastonbury and forced into exile. As a small side note here, um, it's around this period of time that Glastonbury really becomes a, a hugely important site to the Anglo-Saxon people. You start seeing um, all the Anglo-Saxon kings starting to be buried here rather than in Winchester or Gloucester, where they were in the past. Uh -huh. um, so after this happened, you know, so this essentially led to a feud between Edvig and Dunstan. Dunstan actually fled the country um, and went to Normandy. Um, I said, was, was not considered a popular king but by any means. Um, and it's quite, what's quite interesting is Edwig actually ended up marrying the, the daughter, you know, the younger of the ladies he was cavorting with, El Githu. And what's quite strange um, for this time is that they were forced, that their marriage was forced apart, basically, against their will, which is quite unprecedented before we see that the kings had pretty ultimate rule, really. Whereas you start seeing a shift now to the, the, the higher religious people in the country seem to have just as much power as the mm. kings. Um, yeah, so their, their marriage was forcefully annulled. Um, the, the people of, um, you know, the, the archbishops and stuff used the fact that they were actually distantly related as grounds to uh, annul the marriage, as apparently they were both related to Alfred the Great. Um well, Dun while Dunstan was in exile, he became influenced by the Benedictines of Flanders, um, who were like a pro-Dunstan, pro-Benedictine party in East Anglia. And they started supporting Edward's younger brother, Edgar. Um, and frustrated by the king's impositions and supported by Archbishop Oda of Canterbury and the Thanes of Mercia in Northumbria, switched their allegiance to Edward's brother. And in 957, rather than see the country descend into civil war, the nobles agreed to divide the country along the Thames, with Edward keeping Wessex and Kent in the south and Edgar ruling the north of England. Yeah, obviously we need to be a bit careful with that, though, with Dunstan, because we're obviously doing a separate uh, feature yeah. on him today. So um, it's, it's OK to sort of integrate him into relevant things. but um... Yeah, sure. It's, it's, it's a very, as I said, he starts becoming very important in the lives of these kings well, uh, here. I think, that's, so it's interesting, Edwig was actually called the All-Fair. Um, yeah. Which probably that's why the two women wanted to bonk him, but... Um, uh, yeah, they're probably more physically than, than, than um, mentally, you know. So he, he ended up being killed, well, being, dying at the age of 18. What brought that about? Um, I don't actually know myself, I don't think. You might have to tell me. I don't know if I know. I know, that he died, I know he died on the 1st of October, 959, aged around 19. Yeah, a bit, a bit younger than that, I think. There's, there's, so yeah. um, we'll, we'll, if, if, we, if we manage to find out, we'll let you know next week, listeners, yeah. but, um, yeah. viewers. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, so he doesn't make a... He doesn't, so the, 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 the most interesting story um, in history about him was his cavorting with these two ladies... 
uh, and and um, more the impact, as Callum says, on uh, the St Dunstan story. Uh, so it's quite interesting that St Dunstan himself obviously becomes much more of a famous historical character. And mm. remember to this day, actually, uh, mm. I, I would imagine that 99.9% of uh, people mm. wouldn't even know who Edwig was. Uh, I think uh, it's quite funny, even if you watch... Um, I watched University Challenge this week, for instance, uh, and there were a load of questions about Anglo-Saxon history, obviously, which I managed to get every single one right because I know all the dates down to everything now. Uh, and you're talking yeah. about these highly intelligent people giving quite moronic answers completely, you know, hundreds of years out in terms of um, about, in terms of the dates, etc. So it's a, <clears throat> I think it just shows it's a period of history which isn't really taught. And, uh, you know, I think I think... Most most English people know that King Alfred was around at some time, uh, and then and then they you'd get some fuzzy thing about an arrow and a battle of Hastings, and that's about all people would know. So anyway, yeah. so um, uh, the unremarkable Edwig uh, has departed the scene in nine hundred fifty nine, and he's replaced by Edgar the Peaceful, who was the youngest son of Edmund the First. And he's quite an interesting fellow, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he is considered by far the most important king since Ethelston. Um, he, he was crowned on the 1st of October, 959. Um, and as you said, yeah, he was uh, the younger son of Edmund I and Elgithu of Shaftesbury. Um, as king, Edgar further consolidated the political unity achieved by his predecessors, with his reign being noted for its relative stability. Um, his most trusted advisor during his reign was Dunstan, who was massively in support of him, as we sort of just touched on. Um, he, Edgar the Peaceful recalled um, Dunstan from exile and made him the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, the pinnacle of Edgar's reign was his coronation at Bath in 973. And this is, um, actually, his, his coronation is very, very important. So he, he got co he, his coronation was at Bath. And it's sort of seen as the basis for the present day British coronation ceremony as we yeah. see it. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's that's quite like a, um, a defining point in, in British history. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, but uh, as we said, Dunstan was throughout his, his reign was his most trusted advisor. Um, he made him Bishop of Wor Worcester and Abbot of Glastonbury Abbey also during his lifetime. He made Dunstan Bishop of London, as well as, as we just mentioned, Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, it's thought, that from what we know of him, that Edgar was maybe not himself a very peaceable man, which I think is quite interesting, although his reign was very peaceful. During his time, he was, you know, he, he established the Kingdom of England very well, um, so he was like his, you know, so he was like Athelstan and Alfred in that respect. Um, by the end of his reign, England was definitely su sufficiently unified. So um, he, he did his job pretty well. Um, one thing that's quite interesting about him, as he, as he was known sort of to have a sort of a bit of a temper on him, was he apparently he killed his um, his love rival, um, the Earl oh, Ethelwald. yes. yes. Nine three, um, in um, which was near present day Long Parish in Hampshire. I've been, there. Yeah, been there many times. Really, 
Yeah, he, he threw into a fit of rage and he killed Earl Ethelwald, who, yeah, apparently was his, his, his um, love rival. Um, he died on the 8th of July in 975 at Winchester um, in Hampshire. He was buried at Glastonbury Abbey. I have he a... left two sons. Sorry. Sorry. I have, I have an interesting uh, fact about Edgar the Peaceful. Uh, okay. yeah, he was incredibly short. So uh, yeah. he, 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 he was, all we know is that he was less than five feet tall. Uh, we, we're not entirely sure how much less, but he was a very short man. But the chronicles say that he was, a, again, a, a handsome man. So he's a handsome dwarf, basically. <laughs> so think of like, um, what's, what's the actor that, you know, Poldark, when he plays um, Keeley in, in The yeah, Hobbit. Yeah, yeah. Aiden, <laughs> Aiden Turner. That's it. Aiden Turner playing Keeley in The Hobbit. That's what we need to think of. Yes. Yeah, maybe that's probably why he was so angry then, if he was only four foot ten or something. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be very happy, would you? No, I'd be very angry. If I was four foot ten, I'd be, probably have a frown on my face all the time. So then, so Edgar's departed the scene. Um, for listeners, there are some quite good YouTube documentaries about uh, Edgar the Peaceful uh, out there. So I've I watched a couple myself which is why I know he was only four foot something, uh, amongst other things. And he was replaced by uh, his eldest son, Edward, um, who, who uh, to some extent, it, 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 although uh, he, he, he left the earth as a very young man, he's, um, uh, of all these people, he's right up there the most famous, but not necessarily for the right reason, uh, but I'll let Callum tell you a little bit more about that. So um, t- tell me what you know about Edward the Martyr, as he's known. Yeah, so Edward the Martyr became king on the 8th of July, 975. As we mentioned, he was the he was the eldest son of... Um, sorry, so many names going on. Man. I forgot Edgar. what his father was called. Edgar. He was, yeah, he was the oldest son of Edgar. And very um, importantly, his mother was Ethelfled. Another, yes, his mother was not the same Ethelfled as we've covered before, but uh... no, no, she she's long gone by this point. But um, what's quite interesting is that Archbishop Dunstan of Canterbury and Oswald of York both supported his um, his coronation as king. Yeah. Although that's definitely not the case for for all of England. Um, it's Ethelfled and his father Edgar had him illegitimately they weren't married when they had him or at least this is the most common consensus we don't actually know for sure some people think that Ethelfled may have died um you know but but they were married but either way Edward was seen on the whole as illegitimate and there's charters that have Edward's younger half-brother Ethelred as above him in in importance um but Dunstan and you know, several other um, archbishops obviously thought that Edward was the better candidate for king and so supported his coronation. And uh, yeah, on the, and as I said, on the 8th of July, he, 975, he did become king. Well, I think one of, the, had, sorry, he, one of the things that's obviously very relevant is Ethelred was only seven at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Ed, but yeah they, they were both extremely young, but obviously, yeah, Ethelred was um, the, the younger of the two. Um. So yeah, Ed- Edward's very, very short reign was brought to an end by his murder at Corfe Castle in 978 in the circumstances can I, not that altogether clear. Can I, um, can I take over with that one? 
100 percent. Yeah, go ahead. I'd love to tell everyone about about the demise of poor old. So um, so just to set the scene again, so Edward's um, half <coughs> Edward's half brother is Ethelred. Um, they have obviously different mothers. Um, so Edward's mother was Ethelfled, and um, Ethelred's mother was Elfrith. Um, and Elfrith has gone down in history, um, being written about several hundred years later, actually, um, for being uh, the baddie of the piece. And of course, um, regicide um, is is, a, is about as serious as it gets. And normally, anybody that was remotely associated with the death of the king uh, would have a very gruesome death. Mm. So you have to say, what I think what's, what's sad about this story is is probably um, the naivety of Edward the Martyr himself. Uh, so he basically uh, got on his horse and travelled to see his half-brother, um, Ethelred, who, so on the base of it, it looks like, you know, they... He, he considered them to be friends, shall we say. Mm. Had All we know is he had very few retainers with him, you know, possibly as few as four. Um, mm. Turns up at the gates of Corfe Castle in Dorset, which is now just a ruin. But any of you, would, any of you who get, would like to get in your car, it's, a, it's, it's a quite a magnificent ruin, but a ruin nonetheless. And it's, got, it's, it's, got, it's, it's famous for a couple of things in history, actually, not just... Uh, the murder of uh, Edward the Martyr. So Edward turns up at the gates of Corfe Castle expecting uh, a cheery uh, welcome from uh, his little little brother and I suppose his stepmother, I suppose she was by then. Um, and um, I think he's offered a drink, uh, which he takes, and then he's basically pulled off his horse um, and stabbed by... Um, Elfrith's uh, retainers, and it's not a very uh, it's, it's not a very nice uh, end, really, because his horse gallops off with with the poor young boy king's feet caught in the stirrups, and he's actually dragged along the ground for quite a long time. Uh, the history books don't say for how long, but um, he was certainly alive when the horse galloped off. So. It was a rather gruesome death, which actually makes the stories about Edward even more remarkable. So, despite the fact mm. that I mean, I find what's quite um, well remarkable and shocking about all of this is that um, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out who did it. It could only have been. It's not not as if they could have said, "Well, bandits came along and did it," or something, you know. I mean, the guy turned up in good faith at his half brother's, uh, you know, digs, if you like, um, mm. and 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 therefore, you know, the complicity um, of. I mean, the good thing from Ethelred's point of view um, is clearly he was too young himself to have been involved in it, and if he did know about it, then I don't really think you could find a ten-year-old boy who I think he was by this stage, a ten-year-old boy, particularly. Uh, complicit in in this, and I think the other thing uh, in Ethelred's favour is that he does, to some extent, atone for the sins of his mother uh, later on. So all we know is that Edward uh, is murdered, uh, and then he is again. This is seems to be quite shocking that 
the Witten, for instance, would allow this to happen. So he he is then buried very quickly. Uh, undue haste is what it says in the Chronicles. He was buried uh, in a very low, you know, a, a, a common, almost a common sort of way in a undistinguished cemetery. And um, and there he lies for a year or so. And I think we just need to see the story through, Callum, before we get on to Ethelred. Um, and the reason why he's become so famous is, um, to be fair to Ethelred, uh, so he's, what, 11 by now. He basically, uh, he ba- as soon as he gets a chance, uh, and that's probably, you know, as soon as he managed to get out of his mother's apron strings, he basically says, no, this isn't right. Uh, you know, this is this is awful what's happened to my brother. I, I want to disassociate myself from it. Uh, and he basically orders uh, Edward's body to be disinterred, basically reburied with great honours and pomp. Um, I'm not quite sure where he got reburied. It was probably, I think it might have been Glastonbury, actually, or something like that. So, um, Shaftesbury. where? Shaftesbury. Oh, Shaftesbury, thank you. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was Wareham where he was hurriedly buried before it was Wareham in Dorset, just yeah. for the viewers. Yeah, well, again, and well, he, he was moved to Shaftesbury again. What's um, again, you know, because obviously the, 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 the one of the points of this program is to um, is to is to educate you and and, and hopefully you know give you experience. So, Wareham today, if you come into Wareham even today, it says welcome to Wareham, Saxon Hillfort, uh, Saxon Hillfort town. And it's it's a rather magnificent uh, place, actually. I mean, the worst thing about Wareham is it's quite hard to get to, but uh, but uh, we'll, we'll forgive it for that. So anyway, well, the reason Edward's gone down in history is um, when he was disinterred. So the story goes, um, they they found him his body to be in perfect condition, with no wow. no um, uh, decay uh, whatsoever. He basically looked. Uh, as fresh as the day he died. That's what the story is. And so, um, uh, clearly, you know, people of those days being very superstitious and uh, how could this be? And it's, it's actually quite uh, almost impossible to believe, considering that he was so conveniently extinguished, shall we say. Uh, I don't really have a theory as to why anybody would make up a story like that. You know, it just seems, uh, you know, he wasn't, you know, he didn't have any friends. He was dead. You know, why somebody would do this um, is beyond me. But anyway, uh, it was it was basically uh, reported that he was perfect, lying there dead. I, I, I have a small theory on that. Well, you, sorry, sorry to interject. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, he was... We know we were talking about Dunstan and how important he was. Edward was Dunstan's um, favoured king. So, I mean, it might have been, um, you know might have been a plan formulated by Dunstan to make people revere Edward more and maybe be less favourable to Ethelred, who um, Dunstan knew had been put on the throne through scheming by his mother, potentially. But, sorry, I've just got one really interesting bit of trivia as well, and it adds, yeah. that adds on to what you were saying about the sort of the spooky, supernatural, um, you know, his digging up his body and him being in perfect condition. And this might have been formulated by Dunstan as well, but Quite amazingly, apparently, after Edward's succession as king, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reports that a massive comet appeared in the sky unlike anything seen before, and that afterwards, for several weeks, there were manifold disturbances in the land, which I just think is um, 
Mm. And like an amazing uh, um, little quote there from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Portent. So, um, yeah. yeah, just finishing off on, so uh, just, just to be clear on this, so uh, I think it'd be a good time. So I'm going to roll in from Edward the Martyr straight into Dunstan, okay? And then we'll roll back out to, to your feature on Ethelred. So um, uh, he became, uh, can- so basically uh, Edward the Martyr was canonised uh, quite shortly after his death. Um, and he was, for quite some time, the favoured saint of the English peasant. Uh, so he was, he was held in very, very high, uh, you know, very high regard, shall we say. Um, so we're going to move on to um, a very famous character. And I don't, we felt we couldn't let this period in history pass without doing a little feature on St. Dunstan, not least because, of course, he was a man of Somerset, which is, um, and certainly uh, from where I live, which is in a village called West Huntsville, uh, there is quite a well-known hostelry, uh, no more than four miles away, called St. Dunstan House, uh, which obviously named after St. Dunstan. St. Dunstan was born in 909 in in a place called Boltonsborough, uh, which is sort of in the Mendips. Uh, so it'd probably be about 20 miles from my house, I would think. Uh, probably 30, 35 from Callum, for instance, for those of you who are interested in your geography. Um, and he had a very good life. He he lived until 988, so he was 79 years old. Um, and uh, what we know is that his uncle was the Bishop of Wells. So uh, he... he um, he was very well connected on birth, shall we say. Um, what? Um, so those of you uh, who like reading, uh, there is a fabulous book about St. Dunstan by Con Igledon uh, that I read on holiday last year, and it's a really terrific read. Um, Con being Con, if you're, if you're familiar with his writings, he's one of the best historical, historical sort of fantasy fiction, historical fiction writers has ever existed in my opinion one of the best three i would say in the world um and um you know what he, he's obviously had a bit of you know poetical license with some of the more uh ribald uh, aspects of dunstan's life so in in the dunstan book in um con you know with con Ilgerson, he's he's a you know he's he's let's say he's very human that would be a way of putting it he in fact, there's some quite. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this, Callum. There's some quite interesting quotes that he uh, he made, you know, which are very, very non-Christian. You know, like I think he said something like, "I don't mind making peace as long as I've basically sorted the bloke out first or something. You know, but he said it quite worse than that, you know. Like, you know, is that that sort of attitude? You know, uh, yeah, sure. I'm a man of peace as long as I've as long as as my enemies have been vanquished first, sort of type attitude. You know, yeah. which is quite interesting. So I say you must read, read, read St. Dunstan by Con Ogledon. Absolutely fabulous book, really good read. Not at all, not religious at all, full of great stories. Um, so there's a story of him when he was, uh, he was appointed to the court of King Athelstan as a young man. Uh, and he was uh, effectively, um, he was accused quite unjustly for whatever reason. I don't know why this happened of, of witchcraft and uh, all sorts of odd things. And so basically the rest of the boys in the court basically did everything they could to kill him. Uh, so he was beaten up to a pulp, uh, beaten up uh, and many worse, and, and, and ended up um, 
if you want to read the, the true story, it's uh, it, it, you know, they, you know, they they certainly had an imagination. These lads, um, and poor old Dunstan ended up smashed to a pulp, thrown into a cesspit, and th- and he was left, you know, effectively to die. Um, to his credit, he managed to um, get himself out of the cesspit and uh, managed to escape. Um, it's interesting because at this, up to this moment in time, it's believed that Dunstan himself wasn't particularly religious. And as I say, you know, he would fornicate and, um, you know, do all sorts of things that probably normal people of his age would do, despite his very religious upbringing. And the story goes that um, as a res- probably as a result of his experience in the cesspool, um, that his body broke out into lumps. And of course, uh, because they were quite ignorant in those days and they didn't have general practitioners, um, it, it is believed that Dunstan himself thought he had leprosy. Um, and of course, you know, uh, having leprosy uh, is, is basically um, a, d- a death sentence. Um, and it's just a matter of, of time while your body rots uh, before you before you, you extinguish. Um, it's actually considered now that the the bumps were more a reaction of infection uh, he obviously went into the cesspit in a very bad way um, and would have had, you know, faces and whatever entering his bloodstream, um, which wouldn't have been very nice for the poor lad. Um, but the, so that how the story goes, he was so grateful for not dying of leprosy uh, that he considered that to have been some act of God, uh, that he was spared from death. And so this is what uh, motivated him to turn his life in, into one of religion. So um, effectively, I mean, just to... Uh, so as, as Callum said, um, he didn't get on at all with uh, Edwig uh, and fled to Flanders. Uh, under Edgar, he was made the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, and at one point, he was he was um, the Bishop of several different sees all at the same time. Um, you know, became very, very famous. And... I, and in in modern day terms, um, and I think Callum alluded to this in one of his remarks about um, the king being um, his marriage being annulled against his uh, his own wishes, for instance. So it's generally believed, if you like, in today's that that effectively Saint Dunstan was like the prime minister for quite a long period of time in his life. Uh, so Saint Dunstan was effectively the most powerful person in the land uh probably mm. even more powerful than some of the kings and that's probably why uh some of the kings didn't like that because uh, it must have been quite irksome to be a young a young king and um and have uh you know Dunstan effectively there as this sort of rather religious older man sort of telling you what what's what's best etc so um Dunstan basically um, got very involved in politics all through his life um, and to some extent uh, his involvement in politics saw his demise as well. So in the reign of Athelstan, which Callum will come on to in a minute, uh, Dunstan, obviously as an old man, um, started to make some bad decisions probably or overplayed his hands, depending how you look at it. Uh, So by the time we get to the last few years, of um, St. Dunstan's life. He has fallen out of favour uh, and is probably lucky pro- lucky to be alive, I suspect, and saved probably by his age and his otherwise excellent service. 
Uh, he's buried in um, Canterbury Cathedral, uh, and he was canonised in 1029. Um, and again, he's um, quite an important saint, I would say. He's the patron saint of blacksmiths, bell ringers, and musicians. Uh, mm. So it's, it's interesting that um, he's the patron saint of musicians, given your and Drew's uh, interest in music, for instance. Um, yeah, and the other thing which is very notable about uh, Dunstan, which I, I'm not entirely, I haven't really managed to find uh, the, the historical reason why this be, but he's also sort of been latched on to as the patron saint of blind, uh, of the blind. And um, there is a uh, in the UK there is a charity uh, of Saint Dunstan's for the blind. And again, I think there's a uh, several establishments in the West Country about that. So. Um, I think we, you know, we have to feel quite proud as proud Somerset people that this um, relatively, you know, I wouldn't say it was common because he was obviously well born, but this, this chap um, managed to, through adversity, um, not, not only become incredibly important, but uh, also I think probably was true to himself. Um, was certainly not a conventional religious person uh, by the standards that we would expect it. So. That's our little feature on St. Dunstan. So, Callum's going to wind you back to uh, Ethelred the Unready becoming the king. Yeah, so, we, as we touched on, Ethelred the Unready's half-older brother was assassinated. King Edgar... Um, sorry, Ethelred was the son of King Edgar. His um, older brother had just been assassinated. Edward, and yeah. He became on the 18th of March, 978. And we think at about 11 or 12 years old. Mm -hmm. um, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty, um, a bit of trivia about his name. So we, we know him today as Ethelred the Unready. Um, what's quite interesting is, is this is a poor translation of, of his, his nickname. Um, in Old English, it would have been Ethelred Unraid, which doesn't really translate to Unready. And, it, and it's actually quite interesting. It's a bit of an oxymoron. Apparently, the most accurate translation in modern English is noble council, no council, which I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, I was thinking about this last night. and mm -hmm. I've come to the conclusion that it, what it probably means is, is that maybe he, you know, he supposedly had the best council in all the lands, but had had no good counsel at all during his life that's that's what i um yeah, yeah. that's what i came to the conclusion of anyway well he certainly did I a couple that's, of that's, really silly things didn't he so uh... yeah and as i said didn't have the best people around him he obviously had quite a, a a scheming and spiteful mother for example um but he, he didn't have the 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 luckiest reign as we're going to get on to now so his his the chief problem of ethelred's reign was constant conflict with the danes basically so mm -hmm. You know, everything that Alfred um, and Edward the Elder and Ethelfled and Ethelston had, had um, seeked to conquer, you know, all the problems with the Norsemen and the Danes, you know, successfully beat them back, um, established Britain as the um, dominant kingdom in, in Europe. And basically, the by the time that Ethelston was done with them, the, the, the Vikings were either in awe of him, uh, working for him or afraid of him. Um, so, so now we see um, a bit of a turn of the tide. So that the Danes start raiding again in in the 980s. Um, Danish raids start popping up um, all over the, the, the south coasts of um, Britain. We see it in, in Cornwall, Essex, Devon, Dorset. Um, 
and is really quite quite devastating for um for Ethelred. Um, so um, we see that he he for the first, as we said for the first time in hundreds of years, not hundreds of years, but probably about a hundred years, the um, Danes started winning battles in in Britain again. Hmm. So well, quite easily as well, the, didn't they? Was, yeah. So um, there was a Battle of Malden in August nine nine one where a sizable Danish fleet began a sustained campaign in the southeast of England, um, and it arrived in Folkestone in Kent. And it made its way around the southeast coast and up the River Blackwater, coming eventually to its estuary and occupying Northy Island. Um, the Elderman of Essex, Bridnoth, put up a good battle against the Danes, but effectively was slaughtered with overwhelming odds. Um, and this was the first of a series of crushing defeats um, for the English, beaten first by, um, you know, just raiders and, and later on by full on massive Danish armies, the, the biggest scene in, in quite some time. Um, so what Ethelred started doing, and this has got a lot of um, criticism from lots of people. And I have to say, even um, thinking about myself, you, you can't help but think that he was he, it, this is a weak play. But basically, um, Ethelred brought back paying the Dane Geld. Mm. So quite embarrassing. Um, you know, you definitely wouldn't have seen um, Ethelstun or Edward the Elder or Ethelfled um, d- doing anything like this. But yeah, he, he brought back paying tributes to the Danes to basically pay them off, which didn't work anyway. And he, it started making him very unpopular with um, the British n- nobility, mm. the English noblemen, the earls and the thanes, because... He was giving away massive amounts of sum. So he, w- he was paying £10,000, in some cases more. You'll bear in mind, £10,000 in those days would have been such a ridiculous amount of money mm-hmm. a thousand years ago. That, I, mean, I mean, I can't, I wouldn't like to hazard a guess how much it is in today's money. You'd obviously be much better than me at, at this, but it would have been an insane amount of money. £10,000. Yeah, ten thousand pounds. Yeah, in, I would have said more than ten million. Yeah, so yeah, so you know, you heard it from the accountant. Thank you. Probably I'm more than ten million. <laughs> the accountant. And, Excuse me, you're sacked. Yes, thank you. Right. And and at one stage, he paid as much as twenty-two thousand um, pounds to Olaf Tryggvason, who was a Danish prince. Um, so Olaf Tryggvason Trig- was the guy that was leading the raids at the time. Um, and in 994, uh, Ethelred paid him £22,000 in those days. So an insane amount of money by today's standards um, to basically leave him alone. Now, to be fair to, King o- to, to, to Prince Olaf of, 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 um, of Denmark, he actually went back to, to Denmark and, and lived the rest of his life there. And he honoured his, um, his, his, uh, his, tr- his treaty his bargain, with whatever Ethelred. You call it, yeah. Yeah, he, he yeah he was obviously a man of his word and, and of honour, but um, unfortunately, a, a lot of the Danes stayed on originally as mercenaries for Ethelred, but after about a year, they just saw oh, a bit bored of being one of Ethelred's mercenaries now, so they actually just started raiding again. So although Olaf went, pretty much all of his army stayed behind and just started doing, doing um. What Olaf was doing anyway. Sorry, so obviously I, I've got... I don't know if I'm going to interrupt your story here, but um, obviously we then get to this rather infamous episode, which is completely contrary to the, the vacillating 
um, appeasement policy where he basically gives orders uh, for every Viking uh, in the land to be slaughtered. So what, yeah, what, yeah. So what can you tell us about that? Really, really quite interesting. And you can really see through Ethelred's reign, there's not really a lot of cons- consistency. So we go th- from complete, um, a completely passive mindset of basically giving them whatever they want um, in a futile attempt to make them, you know, be nice and leave them alone, to suddenly making the order to slaughter every single Dane in the land. So talk about um, going from one extreme to the other. So this is known as the St. Bryce Day Massacre of um, 1002. And, um, Now, I think what's significant about this is that included in the massacre were Sven Forkbeard's, um, I think it was his sister and his half-brother or something, or um, you, That's right. you may have the right details, but um, uh, some of the people that were killed were obviously in tremendous significance. Uh, the reading I've done would suggest, actually, that people were quite shallow in those days and that probably um, Svein's uh, reaction to the deaths wouldn't have been uh, as extreme as one might expect, i.e., it wasn't that in itself which then spurred him on to do what he did. But obviously, nonetheless, um, it's just indicative of, you know, your very good point about the, the unread or whatever being the wise, the lack of counsel. Um, mm. And one of the things we often talk about, not just, you know, in, in, in business, really, as, as well as uh, leadership, I always think it's, um, it's very, very important to be consistent. And I always say to people, if you're a bastard, be a consistent bastard. You know, if you're ruthless, be ruthless all the time. Don't be nice for six days a week and ruthless on a Sunday, you know. Um, and Ethelred obviously massively suffered from that. Yes. So, as I said, his his whole his whole kingship was a bit of a blunder, really. So, yeah. So, as you said, so there was the St. Bryce Day Massacre of 1002. And during this slaughter, Sven Forkbeard, who was at the time King of Denmark and King of Norway, his sister Gunhilda and his brother-in-law were slaughtered. Um, so this didn't obviously work in Ethelred's favour at all. <laughs> What's quite interesting is Ethelred, and this was obviously a very good idea, but Ethelred ordered um, a massive fleet to be built with, you know, massive warships, really, you know, a, a massively impressive fleet of ships that had um, he'd ordered to be built. Um, <laughs> and almost like quite quite laughable, really, is um, once they'd been built, um, the person that was supposed to be leading this fleet basically thought, oh, these are pretty good here. And obviously, I, you know, he obviously had no respect for Ethelred. And he basically just became a pirate. Mm. And he took the whole fleet and just started raiding other parts of Europe himself. So Ethelred immediately lost his fleet, which, as I said, is amazingly embarrassing and, and almost comical. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this leads us on to the invasion of, um, of 1013. So um, Sven Forkbeard launches an invasion and intends to crown himself King of England. And during this time, Sven proved himself to be a general greater than that of any Viking leader of his generation, for sure, and maybe of any generation up until that point. And by the end of 1013, English resistance had completely collapsed in all of Britain and Sven had conquered England. This forced Ethelred into exile in Normandy. Now, this is quite um, a pivotal point in 
in British history because this is what really starts tying in the Normandy, yeah, exactly. England, which obviously leads on to some insanely pivotal parts in our in our history. Um, but as, I remember you mentioning last week, you know, that how it's interesting that um, a lot of these really important characters we touched on, Ethel Fled, many others. Um, they have all these like um, defining moments in their lives and all of a sudden the accounts of them are just that they died. And yet again, we see this with, with Sven um, Forkbeard. So, yeah, so Sven successfully became king of England. For five weeks, I think. Yeah, j- just for five weeks. So he became king of England in about 1013, 1014. Mm-hmm. And five weeks later, he died on the 3rd of February. And there's no mention of why. It's just said that he was king of England for five weeks. And then it seemed like he dropped down dead of nowhere. It certainly wasn't expected. Um because, as, as I said, it, it's recorded as the situation changed suddenly. So, uh, I mean, who knows whether he was murdered by somebody that didn't like him, whether it was in his camp after a, a, a drunken brawl or a, a more political plot. We don't know. But anyway, Sven died and the crews of the Danish in, um, in Britain at the time immediately swore their allegiance to Sven's son, Knut. But the leading English nobleman sent a deputation to Ethelred to negotiate his restoration. And in return for their support, he was required to declare his loyalty to them and to bring in reforms regarding everything that they disliked and to forgive them for all that had been said and done against him during his previous reign. So this obviously worked out very well for all the, the eldermen and, uh, and, the, and the bishops in England at the time. So... Um, yeah, Athelred launched an expedition against Canute and his allies. By this point, it was only the kingdom of Lindsay, which is modern-day North Lincolnshire, who supported Canute. Um, and Athelred set out to recapture Lon- London, um, interestingly, with the support of a Norwegian called Olaf Haraldsson. So he'd obviously struck a bargain with him. Mm. So the Norwegian warlord Olaf Haraldsson brought an army with him. And according to uh, an Icelandic historian, <laughs> Olaf successfully led an attack on London, um, destroyed London Bridge and the fleet of ships there, and went on to he- help um, Ethelred retake London and other parts of the country. Um, this led to Canute and his army withdrawing. Um, and in 1016, um, Ethelred had completely taken over England again. Yeah, I think um, before we get to the end um, and tie up for next week, um, I think there's there's a couple of um, really in, important facts that everyone needs to know about um, Svein. So um, Svein's father was Harold Bluetooth. Um, and of course, Harold Bluetooth is now uh, famous for uh, the fact that uh, IT technology, etc. You know, mobile phones, etc. The Bluetooth technology that we talk about is actually named after him. I, I, I don't actually know why, if I'm being honest. Um, so I, th- I think it's just a fantastic name. But um, so Sven's father was Harold Bluetooth, who Sven himself rather uh, ruthlessly deposed uh, as ruler, uh, leading to his father's uh, death very soon afterwards. Uh, Sven's name in his own uh, time, uh, he was called Sven Haraldsson. Definitely knew that, Carol, Callum. Uh, which no, you, no. Uh, so, yeah, so he was actually called by his peers at the time. He was actually known as Sven Haraldsson. Uh, mm. 
and I suppose he would have been Sven Haraldsson, the Forkbeard, uh, uh, as, as he became, you know. So um, he was king of Denmark for 28 years, but only king of England for uh, a matter of five weeks. And I guess, um, you know, he, he, his, his son, Knut, went on to be um, quite, a, quite a man, I guess. Uh, so we basically we've we've got all the way through to ten sixteen. I don't know if you did you how, how did how did um, Ethelred die, Callum? Do we know? Sure. Interestingly, there's there's, not, there's actually you would think there'd be more on this, but there isn't. So what we know of his death and burial. Um, so what is is worth mentioning is that so Ethelred's son was called Edmund Ironside, and apparently Edmund Ironside was a much more impressive man than his father. So. Edmund Ironside wasn't known necessarily as a great politician or anything like that, but he was known as an, a great warrior, which is something that Ethelred isn't known for at all. There's no mention of Ethelred being involved in any battle, but apparently Edmund Ironside was completely um, respected both by Canute, King, um, King, King Canute, and by everyone else. Um, and um, I don't want to don't want to get ahead of myself, but um, basically. Edmund helped Ethelred defend London from King Canute after Sven Forkbeard's death. And um, Canute and Edmund obviously respected each other massively. And Canute, although he became King of England, actually gave Edmund Ironside um, Wessex to control. This didn't last long because Edmund himself died shortly afterwards and, and Canute became King of whole of England. But... Um, yeah, we don't. There's not actually any mention of how Ethelred died, at least not as far as I as, as far as I know it, which I think is is really interesting. We um, know that he was buried at Saint at the old Saint Paul's Cathedral in London, which was lost in the in the fire of London in the 17th century. Um, yeah, we know that he died in London at about age age 50, but we don't actually know how he died. Um, a couple of bits of, of trivia with Sven's fork beard before I pass it back to you. <laughs> so you, you said about Bluetooth. I do actually know why um, Bluetooth technology is named after him. That's so good. the Bluetooth, Bluetooth technology was invented by a Dane. And obviously the idea about oh, Bluetooth okay. technology is that, it, is that it brings people together. Okay. The reason why it's named after the, the Danish guy that came up with the technology named it Bluetooth was because Harold Bluetooth was the first man to successfully unite all of Denmark and become king of Denmark in, in and really set the foundation of Denmark as we see it today. So that's why it's named after Harold Bluetooth. A um, couple of bits more information about Sven. So Harold Bluetooth is also famous for being the first, um, I suppose, king king of, of Scandinavia by um, that was Christian by choice. Mm. Um, now we see with his son Sven, he actually seemed to resent this quite a lot. And, um, uh, Harold Bluetooth made um, his son be baptised, and I think he was baptised as as Otto in honour of um, right, right, a German yeah. Yeah. in, in, in honour of a German king. But Sven completely rebelled against this. He he was pagan by heart. That's one of the reasons why he rebelled against his father, um, and and became king of Denmark and um, Norway. Um, and yeah, he uh, completely embraced his old pagan ways. Um, and one thing about it's interesting about Sven is that during this time, Denmark and, and Germany had lots of ties. Mm. Um, and there, there were lots of um, religious people from Germany in Denmark and um, Sven completely drove them from the land. And, and uh, this obviously probably isn't due to anything to do with fate, particular favour of England. But yeah, while he completely rejected all the Germans, 
he actually wanted ties with um, England and was far more interested in... Well, you England. would, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, I, I think so. But I just think it's it's certainly interesting to, to, to note, though, isn't it? Sorry, so we need to wind up, Callum. I just wanted to check. Yeah. Um, was, it, was it Ethelred that married Emma of Normandy? That's correct, yeah. That was his second wife. Yeah, so that's obviously um, just to, to, to leave today. So uh, we've done our 78-year tour of a, a rather mucky period in English history with lots of intrigue and uh, a very poor period to be a king. Uh, life expectancy of about two seconds. Um, it's not very nice people jostling for position. Uh, a, a, a period where uh, England has been effectively born and then... Um, the situation by the end of the 10th century is worse, as bad as it was uh, at the worst in Alfred's reign, effectively. And um, we end up effectively uh, much later than anyone would have thought. Well, remember, we started with the episodes and we said, well, surely uh, the Vikings couldn't do anything but win. Uh, and they didn't. And, and, and finally, they, they did. I think what's, mm. what's quite interesting is... Um, Actually, I think by the time that Sven uh, successfully conquered England and Canute came back, I don't really think, from my understanding, that the mainstream English people really saw it as any different. I don't think they they particularly perceived uh, the rulers, their rulers or masters, on any particular lines of race. You know, I don't think they sort of sat there and said, "Well, Athelred's an Anglo-Saxon and Sven is not an Anglo-Saxon, therefore, blah blah blah." I don't think it was. I think probably the the general uh, disapproval of Ethelred was so great that they were just relieved to have a strong leader, I suspect. And of course, um, we get to the end um, with um, with Ethelred dying, and um, and actually the whole country to some extent happily embracing Canute to come back in as the king, which we shall talk about next time. And I think more importantly. Uh, the marriage to Emma of Normandy has started something really quite major um, and uh, an ongoing, increasingly ongoing, uh, close association with Normandy, bearing in mind that up to this point, uh, the Normans and the Anglo-Saxons were not on the same side, shall we say. So this this period starts to see the end of that. So anyway, um, we're, just, we're just over an hour, so... Um, Cal and I were quite apprehensive about today because it's quite a difficult period to talk about with uh, all, the, all the different individuals. But um, I think we did um, we did a good job, and, and as always, because we both talk too much, we've we've managed to go past an hour. So um, thank yeah. you, thank you ever so much, Callum. Callum, of course, is very pleased because uh, he feels like his people managed to win in the end because uh, you know yeah. being, <laughs> being on the side of the Vikings. Uh, so thanks ever so much, Callum. Who's, who's basically, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm it's, sorry, it's, just, I just want to correct myself from earlier on. At, at the beginning of the episode, I realised that I, I said that Edmund I was um, um, Ethelstan's nephew. He wasn't. He was Ethelstan's younger brother. Edmund was Edward the Elder's son. Um, so, yes. yeah, he was Ethelstan's younger brother, not his nephew. I just wanted to correct myself there, just in case um, anybody out there... Um, I don't want to give anybody incorrect information, you know? Yeah, so... Edward the Elder and, and Ed Giffel were uh, his parents. So just to that. Anyway, so we hope you enjoyed that today. It was a, it, it, we obviously we had to get from Athelstan, um, Athelstan dying to uh, the really really exciting bits. I think the last two episodes are going to be really really um, really action packed. 
Uh, I'm not looking forward to it in a way, but we'll come on to why that is when we do the Hastings episode. So thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Keep keep us um, abreast of your views and what you like and don't like, and we'll see you next week. Bye.